Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey guys, what's up? Kevin Jones, founder of Blue Wire. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Do me a favor. Send it to one of your friends. We're growing this network, grassroots style. It takes everyone. You're a part of our team if you send this to one of your friends. All right, enjoy this podcast and appreciate your support. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. This is the first podcast officially of the offseason. We did our our, uh, season wrap-up that was hijacked by the resignation of Magic Johnson. That was a lot of fun, but now we're back to talking just Cavs. With me today is my co-host, Carter Rodriguez. Carter, how's it going, buddy? Well, I really think we could dive a little bit more into Magic Johnson, but uh, you know, <laughs> if, if we have to talk Cavs, then I think we probably should. Well, we do have an opportunity to talk about him because I, I just don't think that there's any other outlet out there that has discussed Magic Johnson this last week. So no, maybe I think we really cornered the market. <laughs> but uh, we do have a special guest today. I'm very excited about this. We have Anthony Lima from Cleveland 92.3, The Fan. Anthony, how's it going, man? Guys, very excited about this. Uh, so pumped. And I'm an avid reader, believe it or not. I'm a guy that has been reading, like, the message boards for Cavs websites, like, back in the dark web days from, like, 15 years ago. <laughs> and some of those people are still around, which is incredible. Uh, but the message boards just aren't the same. So now I get to check out your website instead. Yeah, and that's it's pods and, and comment sections on fearthesword.com now. That's that's where the discord is towards discourse has gone for better or worse. Yeah. yeah like do you, do you guys remember it was, what was it? Cavs world and man, the Cavs, then they like bought like Cavs.com ended up taking over the forums and it totally ruined everything. This was like pre LeBron's comeback. Right. And wow. so it, there was just no reason to go there anymore. Yeah, I, I think that was actually the reason I ended up gravitating to Fear the Sword as a reader. And then eventually they made the mistake of uh, bringing me on. Um, but yeah, it, it's funny to see the evolution. And this year, once again, it was a big change because uh, the Cavs go from second place finish to second worst in the league. Um, definitely another adjustment period after LeBron. But it, it's been a really interesting experience. And I, I think that's a good place to kind of kick this off, which... Uh, it's a bit of a general question, but how did this season kind of meet uh, expectations or how did it compare to your expectations this year, Anthony? 
Uh, I got to tell you that before the season, I was selling any Cavs stock available. When I saw the over-under in Vegas, I went on the show and I was just like, there's no chance. There's zero chance this team meets that goal. And I got to tell you, I felt vindicated in the first, obviously, however many games when they were a total disaster. Ty Lue gets fired. We learned that one of the former assistant coaches uh, was suing the Cavs, which <laughs> uh, prompted Dan Gilbert to block me on Twitter because I was the first to report that news. Uh, thanks to a lawyer friend down at the, uh, at, you know, that could, I didn't even have to file a Freedom of Information Act. It was just handed over to me. So that's, nice. those were trying times, but that validation went away when Kevin Love came back from the injury. And I'm like, man, I, I might have been off on this. They actually might have hit that over-under. They might have hit the number had Kevin Love been healthy all year, which I never thought I would say. I thought it was such a ragtag group. I had no idea what the coaching situation. I thought they had uh, the wrong coach at the start of the year for a developmental team, but that didn't mean I thought they should fire Ty Lue. So in the end, I think I was wrong on the Cavs. I think they were better than I thought, and I think that's primarily because they played so damn hard. I could not believe very similar to what the Brooklyn Nets were doing last year. They were playing so hard. And then part of me is now grateful Kevin Love missed so many games because I thought the only thing, two things mattered this year, getting a top 10 pick, preserving that so they didn't convey it to Atlanta, and also that um, Colin Sexton showed some signs of life. And the first two months of the year, I was really worried about the second part of that mm -hmm. because he looked so lost. The end of the year – really a lot of my criticisms got thrown back in my face and, and rightfully so. Um, so I think that, that to me is how I weighed the entire season. You know, uh, Chetty, I think he can play. I think he's a total liability, you know, side to side on defense, but you know, you can deal with that if you have, you know, superstars, they don't have any uh, right. in my estimation. So it's tough for me to evaluate him. Well, any other than Jetty, of course. Right. Other right. than him. Yes. Yes. I think he's got some game, but I think right now he's, he's, he has a chance to be an above average role player, but I don't see a lot more than that now, but who knows? I mean, guys do get better. And that's a tough part of this in the NBA is these teams in team building, they have to every year try to realistically evaluate their players. They don't not listen to the owners and not listen to the fans. They have to think about macro level team building. And that's what's so hard. Fans just say, well, these guys will all get better. Well, guess what happens when you have a guy who doesn't get better and you didn't see that coming? It can really cripple some of your team. Hey, I don't think I don't think this is a Washington Wizards podcast. We really shouldn't be talking about John Wall. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, we haven't given those contracts out yet, so uh, we, we should be good. And the one contract we did give out, J.R. Smith could prove to be an asset, which who saw that coming? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really an interesting – it's been one of the weirder bad seasons that you can have. And, like, you know, I think we always do this, which is like, oh, Cavs were so weird to the point where I wonder if we're just, like, everyone's weird, but they're just ours, so we notice it more. Um, but, like, it really was a strange year where it's like, I think we were all pretty right being low on the Cavs, especially with the roster and the shape that it was in. Um, and then – everything goes terrible and they look even worse than, you know, cause I, I think it's fair to say I was among the skeptics alongside you. Um, I think it goes way worse than anyone could have thought. I don't think anyone thought this is going to be, this team is going to have the worst defense in NBA history. Right. Um, <laughs> but, but like, but then you have this. And that was without Kevin Love playing uh, substantial yeah. minutes. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and then Kevin Love actually probably would have helped the defense if he was in, yeah. which is a sad statement about the team. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Sometimes. Sometimes being bad is an improvement. And uh, 
I, I, I still don't know what to make of this season, season because, you know, Justin's pretty clearly on. This was, you know, as good of a season as a bad season can be. I, I still felt like it was more of a slog than people want to account for. How, where do you come down on that? Uh, I, I actually think the season got pretty darn exciting. Not even when they beat Philadelphia and Houston. Was that back-to-back when they yeah, had those was wins? A, and that was big, incredible big that wins. they beat – yeah, they, they won those games, and I just think that probably had a lot to do. And Colin Sexton, I don't even think, played well in those games. I think that just had to do with the fact that um, they played so hard. And when you play really hard, as we saw what the Nets did uh, to the Cavs last year and cost us that damn number two overall pick, if you were following the lottery. Oh, yeah. Uh, which yeah. still bothers me to this day. Um, thanks a lot, LeBron, for not showing up. I guess he did win <laughs> us the title, so I can I can uh, put him off the hook. But um, that – they, they, they won those games, and I'm like, all right, they just played really hard. It doesn't really mean anything. It's not indicative. I don't think it's culture building, any of that. But the end of the year, I've got to say, I was a little too stubborn about my thoughts on the entire season by the time late uh, February rolled around and then into March because I'm always so skeptical of teams that shine in March in the NBA is basically every Tom Haverstrow. Right, so. Yeah, Zach Lowe, Tom Haverstrow, those guys have been adamant over the years that there's no such thing as momentum at the end of the year uh, going into the following season. And there are a bunch of rookies that actually do shine in March over the course. I was researching some of that over the last few days that played well in March. And then they were off their team like the next year or out of their team's future plans because it was a mirage or they were taking advantage of just really trying to score when defenses are lax and teams are sitting players. But this was a little different. I, I actually thought Colin made such huge strides at the end of the year. Now, those strides, here's where my stubbornness might get me again. You guys can tell me if you think I'm wrong. Some of that, I think what he was doing, I won't say fool's gold, but I, like, I watched him against Terry Rozier, and he, he was scoring against Terry uh, pretty much at will. And then Marcus Smart would get on him, who's obviously one of the premier defenders, if not you know, a top five All-NBA first-team defensive player this year. And he couldn't get his shot off, and then he became just a total negative because – he couldn't be out there. Having him out there was just a total waste of space. Now he's 19 and now he's turned 20. So, you know, you can always throw that back in my face. So the question is, what skills can a guy like Colin Sexton actually improve on? And this is going to be fascinating because he's already shown the aptitude to get better, which I think is fascinating to see that three point jumper, even though I think it's one of the slowest releases in the league. And I don't think he can get that off. He's got to, he's got to get better moves because once he gets pressured, He'll be able to take guys off the dribble. He was very apt at that, but I don't know if he can get that shot off. So I want to see him develop those skills. I want to see him develop a hesitation move. Uh, I want him to be able to develop space, uh, to be able to create space, a retreat dribble. I'd like to see all of that because if he can do that stuff, and I have, I have some cynicism to that. If he can do that stuff, it changes the game completely. I mean, you're watching Damian Lillard last night. Now we're watching an, an all-star and a guy who we can have Kyrie debates about forever. But that guy can create space anywhere on the floor, can get into a shot, can jump off either foot, left or right, hop into that jumper, and there's nothing you can do about it. Colin is way behind the eight ball for a lot of two guards. If we're, if we're calling him a two guard, we can get into that. Right. He's behind the eight ball for what two guards should be able to do at his age with that quickness. And so I want to see what kind of development, how seriously he takes that. I hope he doesn't just look at those box scores and sees that, hey, I put up a lot of points. Yeah, I had a green light whenever I wanted, and I'm going to always have that green light the rest of my career because he won't. He will not have that on a good team. A good team would have sat him, would have benched him, which I'm glad they didn't, by the way. I'm Mm -hmm. glad they played him. 
but a good team will not allow him to come down and not get other guys involved and just take those shots and have the ball in his hands at all. Right. And, and I think that's the importance of having veterans around. Uh, you, you mentioned Damian Lillard. Like, he was drafted into a good situation. You, you had veterans around him in LaMarcus Aldridge, Nick Batum, uh, Wesley Matthews, like a, a lot of guys that, that have been around the block and um, that held him accountable. And, and that was something that we heard throughout the year was that um, Sexton would get a hard time from his teammates. Hey, you're taking all these long twos. You got to get better from three. And, um, well, I, I don't necessarily agree with his release being slow. It is low. Like, it, it is kind of a, a fling in front of his body rather than higher up. And I, I think that that could be potentially an issue as uh, defenses adjust to what he can do. But as you mentioned, the, the work ethic is big, but it's all about whether or not it's being channeled in the right areas. Mm-hmm. Which is why it's so important on who they hire as coaches, the leadership they put around him. Because you've got guys like DeMar DeRozan, for example, who worked really hard on his game, wasn't much in college, wasn't much in, in his first couple of years in the league. But because he wasn't always working on the right things, he kind of just became the, this cautionary tale i guess in a way where he became really good but there's a ceiling to his game because Mm -hmm. so long to figure out how to get other guys involved how to um do things other than score from the mid-range uh improve his rebounding numbers things like that so uh, to me the the biggest thing in this offseason is i know colin sexton is going to work hard we we, we've established that he has a work ethic it's whether or not we get the right people in position to channel that work ethic into the right areas. He uh, blew me away with his ability midseason. You never see this out of a rookie, especially someone with just one year in college. Blew me away with his ability to take the information he was giving, given, which is stop taking all these twos. You're taking the most twos in the league, and you're hitting some of them, but that is a losing play in any system in 2019. And what did he do to change that? He said, okay, I'm either going to go to the basket, and sometimes he is a bull in the china shop. Early in games, he'd get his shot blocked. I also thought he got better uh, later in games with being able to figure out those seams and be able to finish uh, and maybe even get to the foul line, which I'd like to see him take a huge step forward next year in -hmm. creating that contact. But also, the fact that he just said, I'm not shooting those twos anymore unless they're floaters that he knows he can hit, which he can. That's in his arsenal. The three-point shot... I can't believe he made as many as he did. Now, if you're asking me, do I think he's anywhere near that percentage when uh, he becomes uh, a little bit later in his career when he's going to be covered and guys are going to be prevent, trying to prevent him from shooting those shots? No, I think, I think there's going to be some regression to the mean. But I also think he's going to get so much better off the dribble with some of that stuff that he's going to be able to create really good looks even off the dribble. He wasn't able to do that much this year, in my opinion. You guys may disagree, mm-hmm. but uh, I was very ecstatic to see that percentage where it was because you don't see that for a guy that had his struggles. I mean, his misses the first half of the season were knuckleballs if anybody was within five feet of him. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I, the thing with him that I find really interesting is like, and, and I hate to be a buzzkill here. <laughs> Justin knows I don't really hate to be a buzzkill. Wait, kill. that's my um, that's my job. What are you talking about? <laughs> Listen, you're on my turf now. Um, uh, you know, the thing that's interesting with him is, yeah, like they need to get him uh, a good coaching staff that keeps helping him grow in the things that uh, – that in his strengths and helping him shore up his weaknesses. It just does feel like and, – and I am at the point with him where I'm – I'm pretty comfortable on his floor. I think he's going to be a useful player 
Um, I'm worried about his ceiling at this point. And as it regard as it relates to his playmaking, because mm-hmm. yeah, he's learning to make some basic, basic passes, but stylistically, even though he can shoot, you kind of like, if you're going to put a guy out there, that's like six foot, nothing, that's probably going to be a bad defender for most of his career, just with his size limitations alone, let alone all the, you know, the metrics, which I don't really trust, but you know, he, he was a, you know, a human, human torch defensively um, this mm. year. It's like, I just don't know what kind of player that's like the good version of Colin Sexton that we're idealizing in our head mm-hmm. uh, is on a great team. Right. And, and to me, the, the big or thing at least is... starting on a great team. Right. The, the big thing to me is I'm not necessarily worried about what his ceiling is as a player um, because I'm not really banking on him being a cornerstone. Uh, which That's what I'm be, saying, though. It does, does his mere existence on your team put hit put a ceiling on your team? Right. And I, I think he raised his floor the ceiling uh, or the season um, uh, because he was able to add that three-point shot. He seems to be someone that we can at least hope to be a reliable score. Now, that might transition into being a six-man role, or mm-hmm. it might transition into him being a starter but you have to have supplemental playmaking around him like I I think that is something the Cavs have to prioritize in this draft Um, he's always going to play at the one because that that's what his height will dictate but in, in today's NBA I mean you there's a lot of ones in the league that don't create for everybody else so where you have the primary initiator at other positions and the encouraging thing for me was that his usage actually kind of went down as the season progressed. He was just a little smarter with his opportunities. And if he's at least willing to move the ball on the perimeter and not be a ball stopper, I think you can build a competent offense around it. It's, it's just that you would have to have guys at other positions that are creating for him, and he would need to continue to work on his off-ball game. Yeah, uh, just I, by the way, agree. are you a little distorted? Uh, was he a little distorted on that, or is that just me? Uh, yeah, um, j- just a, a little bit, Carter. I'm, we're we're going to make fun of your internet a bit here. Okay, it sounds fine. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, we totally, don't edit out mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the, the other thing is, I got to tell you, um, for the many things that I would harp on with Colin Sexton, one thing you didn't hear me, if anybody had ever heard, uh, any of your readers had heard me on my radio show, uh, 6 to 10 a.m., by the way, 923thefan.com, uh, nice. it, it was that – I didn't harp on defense ever because I wasn't buying out of college. Oh, you know, the, the young bull, he's a bulldog. He's going to fight you. He's going to talk trash, even though he did talk a lot of trash the entire season, which I could give you some fun anecdotes uh, from the year about that. Cause uh, I was able to secure some good seats and to hear it. It was uh, very interesting. He is <laughs> taking a page out of Baker Mayfield's book. Uh, if only he could be mic'd up and anybody cared about the Cavs, they would do that. Um, I- I'm telling you <laughs> defensively, I wasn't too concerned because Look, you guys know, anybody that watches the league, 19-year-olds have no business on the floor on defense, but unfortunately they have to play defense. Right. Uh, when that is, you know, going to be part of their game, when they, they have to be out there learning those lessons. Um, to take a take a quote, was that was that quote from uh, Ty Lue at the beginning of the year? That the season oh, was yeah. About learning yeah. Lessons? We're not going to have losses. It's wins and lessons. Yes. Well, we had a what lot a of – What a great day that was for us. <laughs> <laughs> you had a field day, yeah. Uh, losses and lessons. Uh, that's the NFL Films 2019 season in review. Remember, they used to do that for the NFL teams. Uh, with Steve Sable narrating. They should go back to that. Uh, RIP Steve Sable, by the way. But the, the thing to oh. me that I, I, I'd have to say 
about defenses. I did see towards the end of the year a few of those anticipatory passing lane plays that you have to be able to make, that you right. have to be able to make up for your lack of size, to make to, to make up for the fact you're not going to be able to guard Damian Lillard, Steph Curry. You're not going to be able to guard any Kyrie Irving. You'll, 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 you'll get smoked by those guys no matter who you are. In fact, those guys all smoke each other. So it doesn't really – I don't want to say it doesn't matter. You have to at least give uh, a, a good try, a good senior try on it. But, man, he made a few plays where he played some passing lanes, and you've got to be able to do that to make up for the other deficiencies. Now, he was a fish out of water, screen and roll. That does not surprise me, especially one year at Alabama under Avery Johnson. Sorry. Sorry for the Avery supporters. Yeah. It does not shock me that some of those icing the screen or hedging, recovering, top side, low side – he had no idea. And you could tell as uh, I would watch the players, the veterans, and they said all the right things after games. Uh, Cause I kind of got into it with Chris Fedor via text message about this. I said, man, I, I don't think playing with Colin Sexton was a lot of fun for veterans this year. And he's like, no, no, they said quite the opposite. And I said, well, they're saying the right things. They're veterans. They know they're not going to throw their rookie under the bus, but <laughs> right. believe me in exit interviews, they're going to bring up the fact that, Hey, it wasn't exactly, a blast just watching him chuck shots, not really getting us involved. And then on defense, you know, just, just had a head was not on a swivel and, uh, but that's expected. I think you, you have to understand that, but you'd see after every timeout players go right up to him and say, no, no, you see played the screen roll wrong. And I mean, you could read their lips and that's fine. That's normal. I have no problem with that. That was Kyrie for many years at, at times. It's still Kyrie. Um, so, so, you know, you'll see, you'll see that happen. I'm, that's not the end of the world and you don't ever draft that guy, man. If I hope the Cavs didn't draft Colin Sexton because he was a rugged at times, physical defender against point guards who were 19 years old. Like, I hope that's not why they drafted him. You have to draft him for other reasons. Right. So that, it's part of the reason. And I know we'll probably get into this. Uh, I'm not losing my mind about, uh, a John Morant and Colin Sexton backcourt right now. I mean, if that's, the backcourt in six years, okay, yeah, they're going to struggle defensively without a superstar wing defender. Yes, they will struggle. But I'm not going to lose sleep over it right now. Maybe, maybe I'm giving them too free of a pass. Hey, guys, we're going to get back to our interview with Anthony in just a second. But first, got to give a shout-out to our sponsor. You know we don't partner with just any advertiser at Blue Wire. We want to make sure we're giving our listeners a good deal on a great product. And that's why we're continuing to do business with our guys at Harry's. Harry's is giving Blue Wire listeners a shaving kit for just $3. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire and you'll save $10 on a trial set, which includes a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. Love the travel blade cover. I'm used to just throwing it around. Uh, all of the materials are quality, and uh, Carter and I are big, big fans. If you're not familiar with Harry's, it's time you should be. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable gla- blades that aren't glades, they are blades, and they come at a fair price. The founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's by claiming your trial offer by going to harrys.com bluewire. All Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. 
Again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for just $3. And now, back to our interview. Here's a general hypothetical that I think is kind of instructive to whether you're okay taking a point guard, whether it's John Moran or a Kobe White or a Jared mm-hmm. Culver. Um, or not Culver, um, Darius Garland, sorry. Um, if you're looking yeah. up to take one of those point guards. is My, my general question is, if Colin Sexton is still on this team five years from now, is he starting? I'm not convinced he is. I'm, I'm not convinced he is either. Um, I, I think that there's a, a decent chance. The thing that's encouraging to me, and I think Anthony raised some good points there. Um, like, one, point guards especially, it's a big learning curve and one of my problems with advanced metrics is it grades every single position as offense is half the game, defense is another half of the game. Well, that's not necessarily true. Defending point guards is a team effort at almost all times because right off the bat, you're, you're getting picked. They're trying to generate switches. And for Sexton, I, I think defense is something that he thought he was good at and he prided himself in. And the – or and, and <laughs> I, like I, I mean, that's important – but the reality is most 19-year-olds aren't good at defense. But one of the other things, his biggest strength coming into this season was the mid-range shot. And for a 19-year-old to look at what was his biggest strength and say, hey, that's actually a weakness. And to have the kind of uh, the, the security in yourself to, to take that, which was your best part of your game, away and adjust that, I, I think it speaks well to his ability to eventually embrace um, improving on defense, studying film, figuring out where he needs to be to at least be a good team defender. Because um, I, I don't know about you guys. At 19, I wasn't exactly good at evaluating what I do poorly in my life and fixing it. Um, we're, we're a long way removed from 19 it. or 35. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm still not great at that. I was going to say, it's like a decade later, and I'm still not great at it. So that, that to me was a really, really impressive character trait. And I, I think that it's I, I think part of the reason why the veterans probably warmed up to him as the season progressed was because they did see that effort they did see that he's willing to look at what his uh, weaknesses are and make adjustments and I mean it I, I don't know if any of you guys have ever done like training for somebody or, or uh, helped with job shadowing um, explaining something and telling someone how to do something is fine the first few times, but if they keep making the same mistake over and over and over again and there's no progress, you just give up on them. Um, but when you have someone like Sexton who's able to, to make those adjustments, um, it, it may not result in him being a starting player, but it, it makes me feel good about his ability to be a good rotation player in the NBA, which, I mean, with the eighth pick, that's a, an above-average outcome in I, I wouldn't. Yes. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be mad at somebody if they had higher hopes based on that work ethic. So what you're saying is, uh, when we had our bad take tournament, nine two three, the fan, uh, which I eventually won, by the way, with my accurate take that the Cavs should take uh, Anthony Bennett, uh, which they did take <laughs> Anthony Bennett, who, by the way, uh, shot forty two percent from three pointer this year uh, in the G League. So shout out to much. the Fat Mamba. That that take is not dead yet, pal. It's not dead. Uh, the sleep apnea, he's he's fixed it. The eye problems, he's fixed it. The weight, uh, still coming around. Uh, that's <laughs> their programs for that. Uh, uh, by the way, yeah, my bad take uh, that they should draft uh, 
uh, Kevin Knox, are we are we burying that one? Is he dead? Is his career over? Because I heard David Thorpe the other day say he's not giving up on him. And Zach Lowe also said he saw good enough things. I've never seen a guy become that much worse a shooter with open shots from college to the NBA. I've never seen that before. He was horrific. But anyway, it's neither here nor there. It's not. Well, a yeah, I, I, was not uh, I was not a Kevin Knox guy. Uh, that was a guy <laughs> that I just didn't buy into the hype at all. Like, it, well, you were it, right. <laughs> but uh, you you look at that body and you're like you know what like I see that looks like an NBA player which I I think um, especially if you're someone like me that doesn't watch tons of college and and understands that a lot of what we see in college basketball is just a bastardized version of the game I think it's easy to look at someone uh, like that and be like you know what he's going to be better in the NBA um, one guy that, that's like that this year is Nazir Little. I, I don't know if it's going to work out for him. Uh, I'm a little bit lower than I was at the start of the year, but it, it's a tough evaluation to make for sure. Uh, yes, I agree. And so I, I know we're going to get into some, some of the college players uh, because I, I think I've said pretty much what I'm going to say about Colin Sexton. Other than I was massively wrong that – I never called him a complete bust because I did think his shooting was going to get better. Uh, I, I saw I saw some reasons to believe that. I loved his motor coming out of college, and that's one thing I, I said from day one. I just questioned the only reason, and this is why I wanted Knox over Colin at the time, was that I thought Knox had a chance to be great, and after one year, it certainly does not look like that. But I'm always someone who gambles on size, and a lot of GMs have been fired for doing just that. So uh, <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't be alone. Um, I, uh, I think he, I think he's a good kid. I think he actually works his ass. He, he really works his ass off. And uh, I probably buried him too early, but I could tell you why I did that. I think sometimes you get married to things you say. And like in our business, we, we, you're not interesting. If you, if you just say, let's wait and see, let's, let's grade Colin Sexton in seven years. Like I wouldn't <laughs> have a job. No one would really want, want to watch that. And I'll never forget. I watched Kobe Bryant. Uh, he was banged up his first preseason back in 96, but I watched, one of their early games was on television. He got in in, uh, you know, not garbage time, but the game was kind of decided. And I just watched him and his, his pirouetting. I was watching him. He wasn't making any shots. But I was watching the footwork, and I'm like, that guy's a star. I understand some of this hype. That guy is a star. If he ever grows into his body, if he matures, uh, you could argue he didn't mature his entire career. But he <laughs> – <laughs> I was like, look at that footwork. There's no way that can't work in the NBA. And I, 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 and I became married to that no matter what. And to this day, I'm defending Kobe Bryant as someone who, to me, and this is before, you know, Kevin Durant, James Harden, we have to figure out with Steph Curry what, we, what we're going to do with those guys because of the, what I call the juiced-paced era. I, I think now it's tough to compare stats. Uh, that's hey, that's how old we'll get away with it. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Um, I, I've called Kobe a top 10 player, you know, since, since the, the day he won really his fourth title. And then when he won his fifth, I'm like, that's a top 10 player. And I, you just fall in love with somebody or at the same time you fall out of love with somebody. And I was so miserable with the Colin Sexton experience for three months that I'm like, this is, this is just really hard to watch this kid be this lost. And so I, I'm proud of him that he came that far. I, I obviously you can hear in my voice. I still have a lot of questions, but I, I think you got to have some questions on all these guys. I, I have questions on DeAndre Ayton. I have questions on Bagley. And, I, you know, there, there's some things. Doncic, uh, his, his three-point shooting fell apart for a good two months of the year. Like, it's okay to have questions. That doesn't mean you're, you're a hater or you, you, you think the guy sucks. Yeah, well, you know, you said that, you, you know, we do kind of have in our business, uh, you know, not 
we're not radio we're 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 lowly podcasters but you know in the in the takesmanship business you know you do have to kind of weigh in i do wish that that was a good excuse i'm just wrong a lot <laughs> <laughs> that's my big takeaway is that i'm just mostly wrong a lot um, I, I mean, can I, can I, but uh, oh, yeah i don't know man yeah Go ahead, Anthony. Ooh, oh, yeah. I just wanted to say, can I can I get to the part of the podcast? I was really excited about this where I call uh, the Cavs obsession with Kobe White, where I, I call him Javaris Crittenden 2.0. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. I'm in. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Kobe White, I, I actually do like. Um, I know you do. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm high on White. I'm, I, I think it's – I'm more low on Morant than I am high on White. Um, I'm really hoping that – I, the guys that I could really get behind are Zion, RJ, and Culver. Uh, Hunter, I, I'm kind of talking myself into a little bit. Um, what the Cavs have been able to do with uh, Jetty and Sexton in, in terms of their shooting, um, I think as long as they keep Mike Garrity on the uh, staff, uh, Great we're, point. We're, we're, we're going to be okay there. Um, and also just the, the way that they've been able to add some craft to their game. You, you alluded to it earlier with Sexton kind of adjusting his finishing. I think Jetty's done a lot of the same. Um, so I feel better about player development, and they seem to be prioritizing that. Um, but most of the, the guards just don't really do a whole lot for me. Um, John Morant, I, I'm, I'm just not that high on. And um, I, I think one of my favorite things about him is I think he increases the likelihood that the Cavs are going to get someone that really fits well for this team. Um, because I, I think he is probably going to go in the top three. Um, so it, it's those type of guys. If it's not Zion, I want one of those wings where it's Barrett Culver or um, Hunter. Uh, Cause I, I really do think that those guys can make a difference. Uh, I, I'll say this, you know, RJ Barrett uh, from the moment I saw him, I saw him in some, some games at the end of uh, the high school season when ESPN was showing a lot of games at the end of the year. And I and this remember, you got to remember that uh, I believe Zion Williamson classified or reclassified. So, you know, Barrett was already at Duke. Zion came. Uh, so if, if Barrett would have been there without Zion, I mean, we're talking about a guy who potentially could have won Naismith Award uh, for the best player in all of college basketball. I think if he would have been on another team, he would have had that opportunity. Yeah. The only thing that surprised me a little bit, and you never know fully until these guys make the jump, I was a little bummed, and this isn't, a, this isn't the end of the world, and I'm not going to be upset if the Cavs get him. He was a little less athletic than I thought. I, I'd seen this guy in the hype come out of high Co-sign, school. Co-sign, man. I agree. Yeah. yeah and, I, I, and, you know, you're watching him against high schoolers, and, yes, he's dunking out of the gym. He's all over the place. No one can stop him. Great change of pace. Seeing the floor. I mean, he was running point forward. And I'm like, man, look at that, look at that size, uh, showing some leadership. And then at the next level, and you never know these things, and by the way, on a stacked team where he wasn't always being defended by the best defensive player, and I'm like, he's really not getting by a whole bunch of guys without having to use all the gimmicks, all the tools, um, a little bit of uh, you know spin moves and floaters. By the way, good that he has those in fact. Yeah. But you need to be able to just turn the jets on. You know, Colin Sexton can do that. Uh, obviously, much different player. But, you know, there, there are guys – that can do that. I'm asking a lot for Barrett, who's very talented. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think he will be okay. I thought, man, people selling on RJ Barrett at the end of the year, I thought they were going to make fools of themselves because man, he's going to play with shooters. Yes. I, I, I said one of the funniest 
new buzzwords or buzz phrases that I hear all the time is, well, with NBA space, uh, <laughs> they're going to be so much better. But it's true. It is, it's absolutely true in a lot of cases. I think he'll be just fine in the NBA. I'm not going to be devastated if the Cavs take him at number two, if they're sitting there at two. Um, I don't know, you know, stardom. It's always tough to try to sit there and evaluate who's going to be a total star. You know, I thought Greg Oden was going to be one of the best defensive players uh, that the NBA has ever seen. I, I thought he was that good, and I thought he was only getting better. He's a guy that shot free throws left-handed better than LeBron did right-handed right. uh, in college. <laughs> and you know what? Didn't happen. You know, he had well, you know days. what? I, it, I'm going to uh, put on my gas bag hat for a second here. I think if uh, Greg Oden stayed healthy, he still would have been the right pick over Durant. Like, I, I really think that that Hard could have been a I think he could have been a transcendent talent there. So, I, I mean, we'll awesome. never know. Yeah. I love yeah, living on a Durant skepticism island. That's where <laughs> yeah. I live. <laughs> yeah. And I, ne- I never saw Kevin Durant being this good offensively. I mean, he's, he's going to go down in history. He, he has a chance to be a better offensive player. Some would argue he is already than Kobe Bryant, which if you would have told me that coming out of it. So, there's absolutely no chance. Um, yeah. So, look, we, yeah. It's, yeah, it's tough. It's really tough to sit there right now and say what RJ Barrett's going to be. I like that he has all the tools. Thought he was a little bit of a chucker and he didn't need to be on that team. I thought Coach K was a disaster for them this year, if you want to go to Hot Take City. Uh, I, I think he never really warmed up to those guys. Uh, ironically, ESPN had a half-hour special with Coach K mic'd up at the start of the year, and he showed them the three-point line. One of the first things he said, and he said, every player on this team, look at this line right here. If you can't shoot behind this line, I have no use for you. And I'm thinking by the end of the year, he had no use for any of these guys. <laughs> he he should have cut the whole damn team. Because, I mean, you could talk about what NBA spacing is going to do for R.J. Barrett. I think uh, college spacing would have done well <laughs> for R.J. Zion. And yeah. Those guys. I mean, they, they were outside the top 300 in terms of three-point shooting. It was just an absolute. Which no one talked about uh, for, for their brackets. Uh, I tried to, and people said, oh, they'll just overcome it. Well, History shows it's really hard. As far as John Morant goes, um, I fell in love with him very early, so I probably was a little stubborn on him. I mean, I, I, I saw, I think about four games in, I had an athletic director uh, from another school uh, text me and say, hey, you've been keeping up with this guy. And I, I looked, I said, well, I looked at his freshman year numbers. I mean, what is this? Yeah. You know what, you're telling me this guy made some ridiculous leap? And then I saw it, and I'm like, wow. Uh, I don't know. They're, they're, I did not like their coaching, by the way, uh, which it should explain why his freshman year was so rough. Uh, but, man, watching him, granted, and you guys have, have called it out, I mean, the talent he was going up against, not exactly uh, that impressive, not a lot of NBA bodies. but A, a lot of I ball watched. watching from opposing defenses, for sure. Sure, sure, absolutely. And what, what to me, I, I'm not someone who's just going to be enamored with those Russell Westbrook dunks. Uh, some of that quick burst. That's great. It's great to have that. I tried to explain to everybody, and I was down at the OHSA basketball tournament, and we were all at a bar with a bunch of high school coaches. And I watched him against Marquette, and I said, just watch just watch the head. Just watch his head. Forget about everything else. He's got the handles. Yeah, he can shoot those step-back threes in college. We'll see if that translates in all the NBA. He's got kind of a, a different release that's right there at the neckline, which I don't love. But uh, I'm telling you, they, they all took notice real quickly at what he was trying to do. He wasn't out there trying to score 40, which he could have at times in college. He was out there creating not just good looks. He was creating the best possible looks because he was making those crisscross diagonal seal off passes. Like I I'm telling you, I don't think they were running very good stuff and I don't, I didn't love the coaching 
uh, for them this year. Obviously, they, they finished with a really good record, and that game against Belmont in their conference final was tremendous, and he had some big shots down the stretch. But his passing is what just blew me away. Now, we can talk about what that is. Um, I, I remember Jason Kidd coming out of Cal, and I'd never seen passing like that since like mag- my old Magic Johnson VHS tapes. Uh, everyone will bring up Jason Williams. I'll bring up Ray John Rondo, and the, to me, the comparison to Rondo – is the huge mitts. Uh, John Morant has huge. That's why he's able to dunk the way he does, by the way. He's got huge hands, and he can just kind of Scotty Pippen with his hands hold that ball out, uh, which is just another tool to have on that tool belt. Um, I, I, think, I think the game comes so at ease with him now. You know, you, if you watched him against Cincinnati, they just had wave after wave of NBA defensive-type players. And with nobody to really help him out, he would get by one of them. And then that was pretty much it. He, he wasn't adept at being able to just take over that game with those guys. And he wasn't able to Steph Curry his way with just Davidson just shooting all over the court. He right. doesn't really have that right now. I think he shoots okay. And he made a big, a big jump from 30 to 36 and a half, I think, percent from three. Uh, and by the way, the last seven games, the games that counted the most, he shot pretty much the best he did all season. So I think that's good. Uh, if we're going to sit here and declare if he's going to be a star or not, I just I, – I thought Evan Turner was a pretty good passer coming out of Ohio State, and I think this is ten times better. So it doesn't have the size that Evan Turner has, but I, 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 I'm, I'm in the John Morant boat. I understand if you're going to say that he didn't play against good players. That's certainly true, but I saw him against Auburn. Uh, I, I, he didn't have a lot of – he just didn't have a lot of uh, attempts to go up against real NBA-type players. But I was pretty impressed with him from the beginning of the season to the end of the season. I actually thought he got really better, too. I, you know, the thing, I, I feel like I'm a little bit higher on Morant than Justin is, though I don't love him. You are. I guess what I just, what I just keep coming back to is if, if there's someone in his same tier that's available for the Cavs when they go to make their pick, whether it's a Culver, whether it's an RJ, if, if you think those guys are even close to Morant, it just makes too much sense to me not to create a positional problem or to accidentally back your way into a fatal flaw that you can't get out of. Right, right. And and to me, the big thing is, he, I think developing Morant would come at the expense of a lot of guys. Like, I, I think he does create opportunities, but you look at just what percentage of plays uh, in college ended with him either taking a shot, turning the ball over, or assisting on a teammate's basket, and it was close to like 80% which I mean, he, he is a very talented passer. I think he's probably the most talented passer in this draft class. Um, but I, I just think that it, in order to maximize him, you're probably turning love into a spot up guy again, and you're probably detracting from some other guys on the team. And I, I just, I just don't know if I buy into his ceiling really being worth it. And this is a problem. I, I mean, Carter has mocked me. Uh, for this a few times before but like this is even a problem I have with Russell Westbrook like um, mm-hmm. I just think that when you're talking about a guy um, like I, I think John Morant's ceiling is a guy that you can maximize him and you're going to be a real fun team and you're going to have a lot of success but it's just not going to be enough to get you over the hump because I just don't think that that type of player really works as your primary initiator and um, I, I think you brought up a good point about R.J. Barrett not being as athletic as um, I, I think we expected. Uh, that's something I noticed as well. Um, 
offensively, I always thought his game was more James Harden uh, than like a Rudy Gay type that, that just jumps out of the gym athletically. Um, he's always been a crafty player. And I think what he was really lacking this year was kind of the strength to, to go through guys and, and uh, really initiate the contact. And what I like about him with the Cavs is I, I think that he can be a good scorer, but I really believe in his ceiling as a passer. And you look at the assist percentage mm-hmm. compared to like James Harden year one in college. Uh, it's very, very similar. And he makes some advanced reads. And I, I just believe that that is going to be a really valuable asset. Uh, and, and it comes at a position where the Cavs really do have a hole at that, that small forward. Cause apparently LeBron James leaving, uh, leaves you with a hole at small. Forward. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm high on, uh, I'm high on that. And I, I think the lack of athleticism where it concerns me a little bit is it's changed my evaluation of what his, uh, defensive floor is going to be or what his defensive ceiling can be, I should say. Yeah, I, I, I have no big complaints with any of that. Um, I know it'd be great if I sat here and said, if they, it's Morant or nothing, and if they don't get them, they're done. I, I'll tell you, I do not think the Cavs will take Morant if they're sitting there at number two. I, I think that, you know, if you buy into the, the perception out there that Dan Gilbert's going to have a big hand in this selection, and that can be debated forever, I guess we'll never really know, um, unless we get a, a book that gets written about it sometime down the road, although I don't, don't <laughs> sell too many copies. Uh, about a team in purgatory, potentially. But uh, to me, um, I, I, if Dan Gilbert is making this choice, I mean, I think he's already anointed Colin Sexton, if you can tell by their social media drive, if you can tell by their campaigning to put him on a first-team defense, if you can tell by their tweets, if you can tell by Dan Gilbert's tweets. I think they think they've found their point guard stud for the future. And if that's the case, there's no chance they're taking John Moran. So I, I'll be surprised at this point, if they take John, now it gets really interesting if they're sitting there at number four, um, you know, what they would do. And John Morant is sitting there and Culver is sitting there. And I, I look, I, I, a little late to the party on Culver, even though I was really excited about Texas tech throughout the year. And I, I, I was blown away. Like the first time I saw them at the start of conference play by their defensive aptitude, Culver will come into the league as a guy who I think will play really solid defense from day one, which I, I sometimes get nervous about that. I mean, you could said that about Bridges last year. You you get caught in, in that defensive mindset, and you're like, does this guy do anything else well? Can he ever be like a number two on a team? Right. Certainly not going to be a number one. Cul- Culver uh, could get by some guys. I, I put out there a comparison that people did not like at all, where I remember Evan Turner from his sophomore year to junior year made a huge leap. He was getting almost triple doubles every year. He had one of the best box score, cumulative box scores that I had seen in like 10 years in college basketball, uh, putting the whole game together. And the issue that I had with Evan was, again, it was a lot of moves that he had to, he had to go to to try to get you know, the best possible shot off. And when he would run into traffic, he just didn't have the explosion that, that, that you'd hope for. Um, but that size is there, and it's so tantalizing looking at him. I mean, he looks like an NBA player right now. Uh, it's easy to get excited uh, about that and gravitate towards that. So um, I, I'm really curious about him. I, 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 I'm not saying that he's going to be great, and I'm not saying he's going to be terrible. I don't know. I can't get a good feel on Culver at all. Yeah, I, I think at the very least he's going to be a good player. And I, I think what's going to be interesting is I think they're going to take whoever they feel is the best player available uh, if it's that situation where you have Morant and Culver, we'll, we'll see what the Cavs evaluate there. But 
Um, I'm not worried about, okay, does he have star potential? Because this is, I mean, it's a thin and top-heavy draft. It, it is what it is. And if the Cavs draft a, a guy that is a good player but not great, I, I think that they're probably going to be picking high next year because they're going to go with Kevin Love and the young guys. And unless the young guys are ahead of schedule, they're going to lose games because young guys make a lot of mistakes. Um, Anthony, we and are they trading? Are they trading Kevin Love at the deadline? I don't think so. I, I think they're keeping him. I, I think they're they're no matter what happens next year, whether they're good or bad. I think they're going to trade a lot of their expiring guys for future assets. Um, hopefully it nets a, a, another player back like a Brandon Knight where, okay, it's a bad contract, but he can help you on the court and you get a first-round pick. Like I, I think those are the ideal type of deals to chase. Um, but I, I think they're, they're going to at least ride out Kevin Love in another year and, and see where it goes because he's, he's still invested in this team, and I think that that's something that they value. Um, Anthony, we really do appreciate your time, but before we wrap this up, you mentioned it earlier. I need to know your best Colin Sexton trash talk story that you can tell on here. <laughs> uh, I was there at um, a game against the Houston Rockets and uh, he was out there kind of doing, this was earlier in the season when he was totally lost and he was out there kind of chucking and you could tell the assistants for the Cavs were just going, I cannot believe he's doing this. And his teammates were trying to take him by the shoulder after every time out and say, no, no, you got to do this. Hey, don't, don't shake off that screen. You can turn. You're quick enough. You can get by these guys and go. And I, I, just, I just was sitting behind that Houston bench. And at one point, you know, Harden's sitting out there, and Harden's yelling out, can't shoot, can't shoot, go under, go under. <laughs> and he made one of the – I can't remember if his toe was on the line or his three-pointer or what. He, he made one of those shots. And they were getting uh, – they, they, were, they were getting beat at the time uh, – I think by a pretty good margin and Colin Sexton was like pointing to him like, yeah, yeah. And he wasn't like smiling. Like it was, how, how could you talk trash to me? Like I'm one of the great young players in this league and Harden <laughs> just pointed right up to the scoreboard. And it was like, you gotta be kidding me. And it was just, it was just kind of fun because the whole Houston bench just lost it. Oh, that's, that so, is. <laughs> you know, Hey, I, Hey, uh, people love it with Baker. So uh, you don't get to pick and choose. You either love that attitude. You'd love, you know, that, uh, that kind of playground attitude. Everybody's always seen, you know, him going after Anthony Hardaway's kid at AU. That's who Colin Sexton is. And that's, that's, he's not changing. He's not going to waver on that for anybody. I, I like psychopaths. It's, uh, <laughs> I, I, I enjoy a good psychopath. You, you mentioned Kobe <laughs> Bryant earlier, and um, I, I think Sexton definitely falls into that. <laughs> um, Anthony, thank you so much for coming on. This was a lot of fun. We'll definitely have to do it again. Um, again, Anthony Lima, uh, 92.3 The Fan. I uh, want to thank all our listeners for sticking with us throughout this season. Remember, if you want to support the podcast, you can do so by leaving a rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, cook those books, mess with Apple's ratings. And uh, until next time, go Caps.